Good morning. Welcome. So glad you're here on this last Sunday of September. Good morning. All right. Well, I'm so glad you're here. The words that call us into worship this morning come from the Reverend Leah Angiri. And Leah served with me in Hayward when I was at Star King UU Church as the minister there. Leah was our religious educator. Leah grew up in a Jewish and Unitarian Universalist family. This is the season of repair, a time to reflect on how we might endure when life tears at us. We are held by the great book of life in which it is written that we will inevitably face deprivation and discomfort longing, and forgiveness. Each among us must contemplate our own place in it all. As those of us in relationship with Judaism mark the high holy days, our hearts fill with hope and fear, turning and settling, mystery and agency, accountability and acceptance. Let us gather today in somber celebration of our shared humanity and our personal power. Come, let us worship together. We acknowledge that the land we gather on as a congregation where we live, work, and play was not freely given to us. We are gathered on the ancestral land of the Nuchu, Ute, Apache, the Pueblos, Hopi, Zuni, and Diné nations. This was also a site of trade, gathering, and healing for other Native tribes. We recognize the Indigenous peoples as original stewards of this land. As these words are spoken and heard, the ties nations have to their ancestral homelands are renewed and affirmed. We acknowledge that our use of land and benefit from this land came as at a desire at a excuse me, a dire cost to native nations and peoples whose land we now inhabit. I am Katie Kandarian Morris, Minister of the Unitarian Universalist Fellowship of Durango. In these tender times in which we are experiencing trauma and confusion. Yet, we continue acting for a more just world. It is a balm being together, responding to the world's heartache with our liberal religious values. I'm so grateful to be creating community with this congregation full of beautiful, caring, and justice-filled people. Our determination to create and uphold community is an essential gift in times of trouble and strife. As Unitarian Universalists, we celebrate our radical roots and history as self-motivated spiritual people who think for ourselves and recognize that personal experience influences our beliefs more than anything. 
We gather in the spirit of covenant, becoming people of love and trust. As we worship, shaping things of worth, we create community, offering opportunities for transformation. Let us be reminded of the many ways that can happen. Let's continue now. And the prayer that I've chosen this morning um, is taken from the hymnal on my shelf that's called Hymns of the Spirit. It was published by Beacon Press in 1948, and it was a a joint effort compiled Unitarian and Universalist, remember they were separate at that time, to different denominations. And their commissions on hymns and services uh, made this book that is called on the front page, uh, Use in the Free Churches of America, it says. And the prayer that I'm going to share today was taken from one of the services that was listed under the topic of confessions and repentance. We don't see that topic in our gray hymnal so much. There is maybe something, one small thing that might be listed under confession, but it's not something we're used to seeing these days. So I invite you to stretch your muscles this morning uh, for the language of that time imagining its use in Unitarian or Universalist congregations of that day, and taking in today what, we, what might be useful on this very day during these days of awe. O oh God of peace, we turn aside from an unquiet world, seeking rest for our spirits and light for our thoughts. We bring our work to be sanctified, our wounds to be healed, our sins to be forgiven, our hopes to be renewed, our better selves to be quickened. O thou in whom there is harmony, draw us to thyself and silence the discords of our wasteful lives. Thou who art one in all and in whom all are one, take us out of the loneliness of self and fill us with the fullness of thy truth and love. Thou whose greatness is beyond our utmost thought, whose goodness is beyond our highest praise, lift lift us above our common littleness and our daily imperfections, Send visions of the beauty that is in thy world, of the love that is in thee, of the good that may be in us. May we hold silence for just a few moments. May it be so. Amen. Ashe. Amen. Blessed be.
We are living in a pandemic. We live in days of racial awakening, of witnessing real expressed pain for a history of uh, oppression and abuse. We are living in days of blatant climate change, Earth's calling out to us. We're living in days of serious named threats to our democracy, experiencing grief of iconic figures, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, John Lewis, and just this week, a few days ago in Unitarian Universalism, the loss of one of our association's dynamic new leaders, 41-year-old Alondria Williams, whose sudden death has shocked many of us. That's enough, right? And yet the earth still turns and the seasons move us through what Judaism names the high holy days. Last week, Rosh Hashanah, the new year, and tonight begins the 24 hours of Yom Kippur, meaning Day of Atonement. It is a day set aside to afflict the soul, to atone for the sins of the past year. Maybe with all that is upon us, this is just what we need. These are days of taking stock, for making amends, to recognize the deep poignancy of living in these days. I usually focus my sermon this time of year on something that has to do with forgiveness. But right now, for me anyway, that's too hard to get to. I need something that's more straightforward, something where I can do some reflection, preparation, and then take some careful action or as psychologist and relationship expert Harriet Lerner puts it, make a heartfelt apology. Lerner has been studying apologies for decades and studying why some people can't make them. One of the things she says is that children don't apologize without having heard adults like their parents first saying, I'm sorry. And wow, I'm recalling that at times I used my children's apologies to me as a discipline moment. Like I would say something like, look me in the eye. And then I realized that I was shaming them when I said, don't you ever, and whatever it is that came after that. Ick, why would you want to apologize again after that? Or the kind of apology I might give to my husband. I'm sorry for overreacting about how many ripe bananas you bought. But next time, only get three that are ready to eat. Um, No, no buts. No but next time. I would love to share with you Harriet Lerner's nine essential ingredients to a heartfelt apology. 
Nine is a long list, I realize, but tonight is Yom Kippur and it only lasts one day. So here we go with nine essential ingredients. Number one, a heartfelt apology does not include the word but. Easy, we got that one, right? Check. Two, keeps the focus on your actions and not the other person's response. It doesn't go something like this. I'm sorry if you felt hurt. Nope, just focus on what you did. Three, includes an offer of reparation or restitution that fits the situation. Maybe that's buying a new scarf because you lost one, but maybe it means going forward, your actions will reflect a change in behavior. A true apology, uh, number four, does not overdo. I hate to... uh, name uh, any particular gender, but sometimes women can overdo apologies so much that it becomes about them. Where, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, oh, I'm sorry. A true apology does not overdo. Number five, a true apology doesn't get caught up in who is more to blame or who started it. It always seems smart to apologize first, right? Today's a good time. We're learning to be our best selves. And we're learning to be our best selves generally when we're thinking about how to do a better job at apologizing. So again, number five, it doesn't get caught up in who is more to blame. Number six, A true heartfelt apology requires that you do your best to avoid a repeat performance, right? What will it mean if you just do it again? Uh, And by the way, I'm going to go back to the parenting thing, the thing about um, offering the apology to your child, I'm sorry. Maybe you do want to say, don't you ever run out in front of the the cars again. Maybe that lesson could come at a separate time than your the time that your apology came. Uh, a true apology should not serve to silence. It shouldn't sound like this. I said I'm sorry, let's not bring it up again. For the hurt party, it takes what it takes. If you have been the one to cause the hurt and you hear the frustration again or more hurt from the person after you've offered an apology, um, it's going to be sometimes something that isn't easily forgiven. Uh, Your part is to offer the apology and not serve to silence the other person. Number eight. It shouldn't be offered to make you feel better if it risks making the hurt party feel worse. Not all apologies are welcome. Uh, The intent is not to get you uh, rid of your guilt. And if someone has asked you not to speak to them, 
it is respectful to to uh, not reach out then and um, not break their ask for no contact. A true apology does not ask the hurt party to do anything, not even forgive. It doesn't ask someone to hurry up and move on. It doesn't sound like this. I said, I'm sorry. Now can we go? Maybe the conversation can be continued later if you're trying to get out the door, but it shouldn't cut off the hurt person's process or serve as a bargaining tool. Um, Maybe, let's say you have somewhere to go and um, it could say something like, I'm sorry, and this is important. And I'm after we come home from this event, I'd, be, I'd like to sit down with you and listen to uh, how I've hurt you. Um, can we go to the party? Um, it's not an end to the conversation, says Harriet Lerner. It makes room for further conversation. Those are the nine essential elements of apologies. Unlike the line from the movie, Harriet Lerner says that the two most powerful words in the English language are, I'm sorry. They are the most healing words, and they are a great gift to the person we have offended. They are a gift to ourself, growing our own self-respect, growing our spiritual and emotional maturity, And they serve to deepen the relationship, whether it's a relationship consisting of two people or within the larger community. Imagine the difference a heartfelt apology could make coming from the Louisville Police Department to Breonna Taylor's family and to the community, or with groups of people like the reparations made in South Africa, or maybe the speech to Israel made by Angela Angela Merkel. Rabbi Lisa Goldstein describes this task of the high holy days as inviting us to sit down in the truth of our own vulnerability In the year 2020, it's been made clear to us that we're not in control. Here is a time and a place to take the bit of control we have and find meaning. We're moving through the days in which the sunsets are coming earlier. The next time you see that the chalice stand at UUFD, likely it'll be in a video, you'll see the autumn cloth draping over it, reminding us of the turning of the star wheel. I hope you have a chance to practice your apologies somewhere small, like maybe to someone who might have bought too many ripe bananas. If you want to work on a larger apology, let me know and I'll help you with looking at something bigger or I'll help you locate a good therapist. I hope you get an opportunity to visit the Turning Leaves. 
maybe to sit on a rock and consider your amends, how it might be a balm to another, how it might be a comfort to you, how it might be a thread to enhance the relationship. Retired UU minister Dick Gilbert wrote these words that I will leave you with today. I inhale and exhale in regular rhythm, an act so common it never occurs to me to pay attention. And when I do, I am overwhelmed by the wonder of it all. I eat my food as I have done for a thousand thousand days, a practice so frequent I hardly notice the miraculous million events that happen in my body. And when I do notice, I am taken with their singular beauty. I greet my loved ones as I have greeted them for years, a habit that I pass off casually until I realize the deep poignancy of greetings and farewells, how precious they are, how they touch deeper feeling chords each time. Perhaps it is middle age or old age, or perhaps sentimentality grows in me, or perhaps I am awakening to life in ways transcending my usual semi-awake state of being. The poignancy of living in these days penetrates me, burrows deep into my psyche or soul or spirit. I know not what. I only know that I feel things more deeply with the passing of years that the common things of life become uncommon, that the ordinary becomes extraordinary, that the habitual becomes sacred, that tears and laughter come more easily. Bittersweet is the poignancy of living in these days. I awaken myself and bow down in deep gratitude. May it be so. Amen. Ashe. Blessed be. Amen. Let me send you with this blessing. This is the season of repair, just as we are with each other via screen or covered with a mask or through the phone? How might we continue to show up and make an effort for others we love? As people of covenant, we're willing to mend what we've broken. Let us take our days to heal, to grow, to love, and to bless. Go in peace.